So I just want to uh, echo everybody else's gratitude and just thanks for all that you do. It's just a joy to get to go, like to pop from class to class. And whether it's the questions that the kids ask or just the excitement on their hearts uh, to, to learn about their faith. Sometimes, you know, they're not the best as uh, showing that. I remember there was there was a time recently, I, I think I was in, in here with the, the junior high kids. And you know how junior highs you know they're still trying to um, they're still trying to fit in, and there's a whole lot that goes on for them. But you could tell like they were they were really looking and they were really curious, and so just you see that intention in there that you are offering them something that gives them life. So even if they don't look like they're paying attention, thank you for for what you're doing. Um, and so I've been asked just to talk about a handful of things related to catechesis and being a catechist. And, um, and I'm planning this thinking like, all right, this is kind of like the last big thing I had to prepare before going on vacation on Sunday. So it's like, let's just do this and get this done. Because I really do, <laughs> that sounds awful, but, um, but I do love, you know, like this time of year after Christmas, I go see my own family for Christmas. So my parents, as you probably know, moved down to Georgia, and then I got a brother that's down there, and then another brother in Connecticut. So I'm getting to see the whole crew. Um, so, but I think about family a lot, and since my immediate family's there, and I think this goes true for most priests, you kind of have a family here at the parish, and, and that comes in so many ways, but it's, it's especially the daily mass crowd at a parish. So when at daily mass, you see the same folks there all the time and you begin to check in and you get, you know, you get to see you like just little things that are happening like, oh yeah, how'd surgery go or what's going on in your kid's life? Like you just kind of get to know what's going on in the daily mass crowd's life. And on uh, Wednesday morning, I overslept mass at uh, IC at seven. So luckily Father Jedediah made it there before too long, but I had to come up here uh, to St. Joseph to cover the eight. And as I was greeting people after Mass, uh, somebody came up to me and they said, uh, where's George? I thought, oh, he's not here. Darn. And then it turns out that George had passed away that night. Uh, George led the rosary on Thursday morning, been to Mass all the time, and then George wasn't there. And we noticed, and you know, you hear that, and it was, it was like heartbreaking. But then I, I think about George's life. And I, I don't want to, like, canonize anybody um, because that's for the Pope to do, not for me to do. But there's a whole lot there to admire in his life. And granted, I didn't see his whole life. I'm sure people, people, people always have their issues. And um, so still pray for him into eternity. But there's a whole lot there to learn. There's a whole lot there that he, he taught me. And so maybe you, you don't know George Wayner, but George Wayner, um, one of the funny things about George was – this isn't funny, um, but you know when we restarted mass after the COVID shutdown, we told everybody, you know, just try to come once a week because we're trying to space things out, you know. And George was there every day, and there was a couple of us like, oh, should we say something to George? I'm not telling George that he can't come to mass. Like everybody, we just looked around like, yeah, nobody's going to do that, um, <laughs> which was the right decision. <laughs> um, and he he got married later in life, and and. Um, and he served so many different things throughout the parish. And even like since I've been here, just watching him kind of like give up some of those and being OK with it has been like remarkable example. Um, and so I think, you know, like one question just because he, he was involved with RCA and you think like, well, why did he do any of those things he did? Like he took 
Holy Communion to the nursing home to Ogley's Acres, I don't know how often. He helped out with RCIA. He had a pen pal who was in prison, and this guy converted to the Catholic faith, I think because of George writing to him. And um, you think, well, why would anybody do all of that? Right? Because he didn't have to, right? It wasn't his job. It wasn't, it wasn't something anybody was expecting or compelling him. But when he talked to him, he first knew mercy himself. And I think about the, the line in the Acts of the Apostles. So right at the start, the, the apostles are put in prison. And they start saying, you know, um, well, I'll just read it. So this is from Acts chapter 4. So they called them back and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John, however, said to them in reply, Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to obey you rather than God, you be the judges. It is impossible for us not to speak about what we have seen and heard. It is impossible for us not to speak about what we've seen and heard. That they first seen and heard, they've experienced Jesus Christ. And for them, how could they not say anything? Like you could put us in prison, you could, and they're going to get killed, right? Well, not John, um, but he's going to be imprisoned for a long period of time. But it's how could they not say anything? They've experienced Christ. They've known him, his love. How could you not say something? And that's got to be the same thing for us. And you think about, like, why be a catechist? Right? Why spend all of those, like, hours preparing, coming in the snow, even when you're like, gosh, I got so many things around the house that could be done, or you could grocery shop while your own kids are at CCD or at, uh, at EDGE. Well, why would you do it? Except the same reason right there. You can't help but see, uh, share what you've seen and what you've heard, that the Lord has done something in all of our lives that we can't help but, but tell others about. And of course, our motivation sometimes gets a little off. You know, sometimes there can be like a, a combative motive to say like, well, I'm going to give people what I didn't get myself. Or sometimes it can be, you know, if, if, if I don't do this, then something, you know, what, whatever, they're not going to have a program or something like that. There, there can be some imperfect motives, but the Lord can do a whole lot with that, right? In our own hearts to, to kind of form us to say, well, no, we've been given something. The Lord's done something in us. And if we find ourselves like just becoming a little bitter or becoming a little angry, a little frustrated, I mean, one, we just have to realize that right? in my own self, right? You get after Christmas, I get a little cranky and I know that. And so you got to work real hard and ask for the grace of the Lord to kind of to step in there and, and help things out. And then you think about when we've encountered that, when we've met Christ face to face, and we've experienced his love and his mercy. Then we begin to put, act like him. And you think about Jesus when he looks out over the crowd. And I think it was in the daily mass, the gospel today, where Jesus's heart was moved with pity for them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You know, we can, we can look out at our kids and, and, you know, some of them aren't going to mass. Some of their parents haven't been to confession since the last time somebody's first reconciliation happened. Some of them don't pray. Some of the times the parents just take them there because their grandparents would yell at them if they didn't. And those are all things that we can get pretty frustrated about, right? We can get really, like, really down, like, what are, we, what are we doing? Like, what's the point? And it can get really dejected. We can get dejected so bad, so intensely. But we have to have that heart of Christ, right? To look at them and, like... Sheep without a shepherd, moved with pity, 
not with anger, not with like bitterness to say like, how could you not do this? Or, or even like, how are we, how are we correcting them even when they're wrong or challenging them when they need to grow closer to Christ? Well, we just try our best to put on that mind of Christ, right? That our hearts too are moved with pity for them. Cause you know, like life would be so much better. It wouldn't be easier, right? Oftentimes our faith makes things a whole lot harder, but it's better. It's fulfilling, it's rewarding, it's, um, it's life-changing. And so to have that mindset of Christ, you know, our hearts to be moved with pity for people. So we have to keep experiencing that ourselves. And I go back to George. Like, George knew how to take care of his own spiritual life. And it wasn't something like he didn't do all these things because he had to, because he wanted to, or because he wanted people to tell him that he did a good job. He just did them because it flowed from his love of God. And so we have to keep that flame going in our own, our own soul. And there's, I mean, a pretty standard recipe, I would say, for any Catholic to keep that flame in our own life and to keep that faith alive daily, weekly, monthly, daily prayer, like no matter what, whether it means setting the time aside in the morning or at the end of the day or both or, you know, lunch break at work. But daily prayer for all of us has to be a non-negotiable. Daily prayer, weekly mass, the source and summit of our faith. And I know for everybody here, it's like, well, of course, Father, what's the nobody's arguing that. But it's important to know just how essential the mass is to our lives. You know, Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. No life unless we eat his flesh and drink his blood. So we have to be nourished by the Eucharist and then monthly confession. I know for, for a lot of people, monthly can be a little hard, but if you just keep it, keep it regular, whether it's, you know, the second Saturday of the month's always your time or whatever it is, but there's something about that, especially if you can like rehash, okay, what happened in the catechesis, right? Oh, I was a little short with that person. I mean, the Proverbs say the just man sins seven times a day. I wouldn't describe myself as a just man, and so I'm probably way more than seven, so... Nobody's taking count, though, are they? All right. And then there's other things. And then this, of course, flows to the youth. You know, like um, our spiritual life gets tied up with being a catechist. I said that George helped in RCIA. George, as long as I've been here, George didn't teach RCIA. But he showed up every time for RCIA. He would say hi to people. And then he would leave and go into the church and pray for over an hour until class was over. He knew that he had the most important job there, that while everything else was going on and people were hearing or people were nodding off, George said, I'm going to go to the chapel and I'm going to pray for everybody here. And what an example that is. And so for ourselves to uh, to have that same heart, to know like we could teach all sorts of things, but we should really be praying for our for our young people and especially the ones that are most annoying. Like and I was that I was that kid. Um, You think about like. I'll get to that in a bit. So there's that. And then there's even the fasting. One of the, so like, this happened, I want to say three years ago, where George was telling me he was having some back pain. And he was, he was struggling. You could just see him. I mean, like he walked hunched over on his, on his walker. And, uh, and I was, and he was describing it. And I said, well, don't forget to, to offer it up. And he said, oh, you know, I'm doing that. I was like, well, George, and if you think about it, could you offer up some of your suffering for me? I'll do that, Father. And uh, it was like 18 months later, we were talking about his back again. And he goes, I'm still offering up my suffering for you. I thought, oh, my gosh. Like, he hasn't forgotten. 
and um, to think about what we can offer up for our for our young people. You know, what we can offer up for them, and all that. Uh, you know, even if it's just something little about you know, we'll get dessert. I was going to say don't get dessert, but there's plenty left over. So um, share it with somebody else. But to offer up little things here and there um, for for the people that are in most need, right? Especially the students that you think, man, they're not going to mass or their, their parents aren't helping them, or they're in a really terrible home life, right? And you just get bits and pieces, or they're the ones that question things. And you know, well, they need the Lord. And so a little, a little offering, a little sacrifice for our young people goes a long way. And so you think about this, this heart of compassion that we should have for them. And I think this is like the vision of how we deal with difficult people in our own lives. To start with prayer, to start with fasting for them. But I know my own, my own struggles in behaving in CCD were really bad in third grade because my mom was a teacher. So I would get up in the middle of class and walk over, shut off the lights, you know, just do absolutely honorary things. I think I've probably told you this before, but you know why I was doing it. My mom was a teacher. There was all of these other people that she was paying attention to, and I was her son, and she wasn't paying attention to me, so I was going to make sure I did everything possible to get as much attention as I could. But my mom knew that, right? She didn't lash out at me because she knew I was just a kid that needed attention. And you think about all of our kids that misbehave, all of our kids that are tough to be around, all of our kids that are just kind of annoying. Well, it's probably something similar, right? There's probably something, and who knows all the laundry list of reasons why, but a difficult home life where you feel like you're not loved, and so you act out because you want, you want to be loved, or you had a terrible day at home, or, or you couldn't make it to CCD because, you know, and we've, we've got kids who just couldn't get a ride because mom lost her car, or she had to work, and, and so to have that heart of compassion towards all of those and try to understand the difficult situations some of them find themselves and you know, go back to that example of George. He was the pen pal for a man in prison. And oftentimes when we think of those people in prison, we think, well, you did this to yourself, right? You made a conscious choice to do X, Y, or Z, whatever you did. But he took it upon himself to write to him, to exchange letters regularly with him. And eventually this man encountered the love of Christ himself and became, became Catholic. And so we think about, you know, how do we discipline the kids? Um, and even how do we do this with each other? And there's a great example in the Gospel of Matthew. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won over your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, so that every fact may be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. So you think about this with our, with our own youth, you know, if they're struggling, of course, if they're disrupting the class, you kind of have to nip things in the bud as soon as, as soon as possible, but you do it in the most, the most gentle of ways. But if it's kind of an ongoing thing, you know, to take them aside and say, well, what's going on? You know, tell me about your life at home. Tell me about what's happening. And that's like the good shepherd that goes after the one sheep. And if we've got one sheep that we know is like, oof, they're just pain to go to them alone, right? To not cause them out publicly because that probably just makes things a bit worse. One of the last uh, things, I guess, about George to share 
is he was a member of this apostolate, the Marian Catechist Apostolate. So there's people that dedicated their lives to a certain way of presenting the faith. And they just committed to do this so often in their life. And he would drive to Wisconsin every year for their annual retreat. Well past the time that he really should have been driving to Wisconsin. To the point of like when he was gone, even the first years I was here, he was driving to Wisconsin. And like, oh my gosh, George. Like, and the Lord took care of him because that's what the Lord does with people like that. Right? He just takes care of them. But the last couple years, he couldn't go, and he knew he couldn't. So they always had a recommitment. And so he asked me personally to – he wanted to publicly profess his commitment uh, to me that he was going to follow the Marian Catechist Apostolate. I thought, what a great example that is of, like, surrender, right? He didn't say, I've got this great plan for catechesis, and I'm going to figure it out, right? you got to hear this plan. But he said – Somebody has discovered this plan of catechesis, and it was Father John Harden. If you know Father John Harden, he was, he was the one that taught Mother Teresa's sisters, so he knew what he was doing. Um, but he didn't create it for himself. He trusted those who gave it to him. And so for ourselves, there can be a real temptation to, to kind of go rogue, right? And to kind of figure out, like, okay, I think our students really need to, do, to hear about this, But there's probably a place to say, well, if you think that, it's probably best to ask some sort of permission, right? So we kind of surrender ourselves to this curriculum, trusting that when the time's right, they'll hear what they need to hear, right? And there's like obvious examples of this. We're not going to go into sexual immorality in kindergarten, right? It's not the place for that. Not that anybody would or anybody has, Um, but that's just an extreme example. Of course, there's a place to share the fruit of our prayer, right? If it's part of our days to talk about the rosary, We can share our experience with that. Or if it's part of our curriculum to share whatever, the fourth commandment, honoring your father and mother. There's a place to share what's happened in our own life. But there's also a place to say, okay, we'll we'll simply do what's what's asked of us. And that's that's what all of us ever do. Right? That's that's what Jesus describes. We were merely useless servants. We merely did what we were asked. And that's my life too, right? Just a simple servant. I was thinking about it today. I had to talk to somebody or talk to the podcast about the entrance into Jerusalem. And if I could just be the ass that Jesus rides as he goes into Jerusalem, I think that'll be enough. Right? I think that's, that's all the Lord asked of that donkey, that ass. Um, and maybe that's all he's asking of us is to be simple servants, trust in the, the plan that's been given to us. So this is kind of the goal. Right for all of us is to form future saints. Right, that we simply give ourselves to this catechesis, allowing our hearts first of all to be transformed. Right, that we've met God and we're taking care of our own spiritual life, and we're allowing the Lord to take care of us. And then that moves our hearts to look out at the people in our lives, to look out at these young people, and our hearts be moved with pity because so often they are like sheep without a shepherd. You know, they they have so much going on in their lives. And then to treat them with that compassion, knowing that they are some ways lost. But sometimes it's just the love, a good example, and a patience that will bring them back. We just simply entrust them into the Lord's hands to pray for them, to fast a little bit for them. This past Sunday, we had Archbishop Schnur up here. And one of the things he said a lot um, is he said, I hear often, I'm going to do my Archbishop Schnur impersonation. I hear often that people describe the church. Uh, describing the young people of the church as the church of tomorrow. But I disagree. 
The young people today are the church of today. They're the church of now. They belong to this church. He's right, right? It's not like we're preparing people for the future, like one day they'll get their shot. But they're part of the church now. Many of them are confirmed. All of them are baptized. So this mystical body of Christ that we're all part of is a part of theirs too. And we've been given this incredible opportunity to form them, to share that with them, the love of Jesus Christ. And um, I guess we're just kind of humbled that the Lord has allowed us to share in this work. So again, thanks for all you do. Um, thanks for um, your generosity, your service, and uh, for fu- forming future George Wainers. So um, thanks.